Good morning. Has anyone looked at your wardrobe and said, I have nothing to wear? <laughs> Been there? Said that? Yep. Our wardrobe is full of clothes, but yet we look at it and say, what am I to wear? I have nothing to wear. <laughs> Our fridge is full and we look at it and say, So we're going to look at that this morning and what Jesus was saying and uh, how it uh, has got implications for us. Let's just pray and come with this word to his hands. Uh, Father God, we thank you this morning that we can look to you and come before you and exalt you and glorify you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we uh, look to your word and we pray, Lord, that we'll be a people who will look at your word and, and not forget but to do what you tell us to do. Bring us under your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if I'm too loud, you can put me down. <laughs> Thanks. Another question. Has anyone have, has a sweet tooth craving? Did you open the cabinet doors or your fridge in search of something that would satisfy you, especially after dinner, and those experience sugar craving feel a strong urge to eat something. How do I know this? I ask my friends now. <laughs> Healthline Media says, in fact, up to 97% of women and 68% of men report experience of some sort of food craving, including craving for sugar. So I thought, I don't know about this. Let me check it up. So I Googled it up. And when you Google it up and put the images, and you'll see it's all women images with sweet tooth, with donuts, with ice creams and all that. I thought, wow. This. So eh, for there are things that you can do to take the edge of sweet tooth craving. There are some foods that can help you fight the sugar craving, like fruits, dark chocolate, berries, the dark chocolate is one of my favorites, so which tells me I have sweet tooth craving. So everyone is craving for something, isn't it? Everyone crave for something in their life. We are all by nature a seeking people, a craving people. Some people crave for money, and others for fame, and others for pleasure. Some crave for self-validation, and others for worldly power. So there's all kinds of craving going on. And I want to ask you this question. What is one thing we as Christians crave for? What is one thing that we crave for? We've been looking at this whole story of Martha and Mary and uh, Lazarus, and Jesus coming to their home and all the things that have been happening. And again, Jesus told Martha, 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 why? Here's this one thing. So this morning, we're going to look at this one thing. So to answer this question, I want to put the question to you. What is the one thing that we as Christians should crave? You can speak up loudly, that's okay. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. God's love. Safe answer, Jesus. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> Go home. 
God's Word. Yeah, all good answers. They all lead us back to this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And this morning we'll be looking at the one thing that we Christians should be seeking for. And this is the verse. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So all these things will be given. But we need to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Now these two words, kingdom and righteousness, Jesus turned it upside down in His teaching. And people really couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They thought that kingdom, they were under the Roman oppression. And they wanted some political messiah to come and overthrow them. So they're looking at that kind of a kingdom. Righteousness, they already have the Sadducees and Pharisees and temple priests who had some kind of a, a righteous clout around them. And Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. So in our context, uh, context for this passage, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, is taught by Jesus in this whole thing on the Sermon on the Mount. And this whole thing, again, as the scripture was, was read to us this morning, is in the context of worry. We worry, worry, worry all the time. Worry. And Jesus thought about this uh, uh, in this context. He brings this uh, verse. The second half of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about worry. That we should not worry because it doesn't do us any good. And Jesus says, how many of you by worrying can add an inch to your height? Oh, that would be interesting, isn't it? <laughs> we'll be one of the tallest people <laughs> by worrying. In fact, it doesn't do us any good. It takes our focus off from God on the things of worry. We can either focus on Him or we can focus on worry. Now, what are we going to look at this morning? We can't focus on both. And that's where all the confusion ends up. So we've got to focus on one thing. What do we focus on? Worry or God? Now we know that if you look outside, it's a bright, nice, sunny day. The sun is out there. You can look at the sun. And I've got a 50-cent coin here. Do you know we can block the sun out with this coin? Yeah? Bring the coin closer to your eyes and you can block the sun out. The sun is so huge. But we make this 50-cent coin bigger than the sun. We make our worries bigger than the, the sun. Jesus Christ. Now we can't have two. Either we have one or the other. And Jesus talks about again, and money and God. So we can't have both. So this morning, friends, let's focus on God. Things that we worry, the more we look at it, the more closer we look at it, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And we lose the focus of God. So let's keep our eyes on Him. Jesus repeatedly tells us in these verses to keep our eyes on the Heavenly Father. Keep your eyes on Him. Focus on Him. Not on those things that worry us. Not on those people who get under our skin. But look at Jesus. Keep looking at Him. Five times is the, word uh, the word anxiety or worry is mentioned in these verses. And Jesus knows about anxiety. So He talks about this more five times. He knows the anxieties that you and I are going through this morning. He didn't say, there is anxiety, but this is the way you take this path. We serve Jesus who has gone through it. Look at it in Garden of Gethsemane. 
He knew he was facing death. He knew he was facing this torturous time. He faced those agonizing moments. He faced the anxious moment. He fell on his knees and said, God, if, if possible, take this cup from me. Please take it. If not, I'm willing to obey you. There's a worry. But he again focused on God. So he understands our need. He understands our worrying. He understands the tensions that we go through. Now, there's at least 14 times in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus refers to our Father. 14 times. So the whole indication of this passage is keep your eyes on God. That is the antidote for worry. Focus on Him, not on worry. I know it's easy said than done. At this very moment, we are worrying over so many other things. And I pray today, this, this morning, friends, that God would help us to just shift our focus on those things that worry us onto Him. Instead of seeking many things at the same time, Jesus wants His listeners to seek after one thing, and all the others will follow. So He says, but seek first His kingdom. Now we'll look at this verse, we'll look at different words in this verse and what it means for us. Look at the first three one, but seek first. There is a conjunction, but, which tells us, which lets us know that this is not a standalone verse. It's just not a verse we can take it off to, out of context and quote it as we like. But we should look at it in this context. And the context is worrying. So it's an important lesson that instead of needless worry, that we trust Him for all our needs. So instead of needlessly worrying, let's trust Him for all our needs. To seek so, so we often, we do not seek God first. We seek everything else, and then we seek God. Let's change our focus. Let's seek God first, and all these things will be added. To seek first comes after Christ's teaching what not to do. And what does he say what not to do? Now, in that passage that Judy read for us, he says, do not be like the pagans. They run after the things of the world, and even worrying about daily needs. And Jesus says, don't, don't be like them. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows. He knows our needs. He knows what we want. And he, 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 he provides those needs. The Greek verb seek here stresses the ongoing necessity to pursue something, to keep on after it, to keep on going after it without stopping. So the word seek is an ongoing thing. Keep on. Not just once, but keep on. Keep on seeking Him without stopping. So we are to seek and keep on seeking God's reign in our lives. Seek Him and keep on seeking. Keep on. Every day, keep on seeking. Get up in the morning say, Lord, I need you. I've got this thing hanging over my shoulder, but Lord, I want to see you. I want you to come through for me. And let's focus on God. Sometimes those clouds still hang over our head, but our focus is on Him. And He is over all. He is bigger than anything. He is a great God whom we serve. Nothing is too hard for Him. He's a big God. He's a great God that whom we serve. So let's look at Him. Every day in our lives, we need to seek first His kingdom. We must, it must be an ongoing seeking, not just an occasional attempt trying to seek. So here, 
It's the only one. The only one thing is to seek. And the outcome is all these things. Seek this one thing and all these things. So what are we to seek first? As it says here, but seek first. Number one, seek first his kingdom. The phrase sounds easy enough. Seek first his kingdom. Now what is his kingdom? Now this is where Jesus really got into trouble with the people. And his disciples didn't get it till the end. They didn't get it. They struggled with this whole concept of this kingdom. What is Jesus talking about? Even Pilate on the day when he was arresting Jesus, he said, are you the king? What is this kingdom? The phrase kingdom of God is used 70 times in the New Testament. And in Matthew alone, 30 times. So it, must, it, it was an important theme. 30 times Matthew, Matthew uses in his writing. The number one thing that Jesus talked about is the kingdom of God. It is everywhere in the Gospels. It's impossible to miss. He talks about it again and again. For example, Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. He also taught his disciples to pray that your kingdom come. In the Beatitudes, he says, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. At the last supper, Jesus said, I will not drink again of the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink anew in the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke about it in parables. He taught the disciples in parables, like the mustard seed, the leaven, the lost coin, and the man who went out to sow the field. So in a lot of his teachings, he talked about kingdom. And he gave parables, examples of what the kingdom is. So what is this kingdom? It's not a political kingdom. It is a reign of God, not a realm that we look at, that the disciples were looking at. It was not a geographical place or a political kingdom, but it is God's reign. When Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you, it's near you, it's God's reign, it's His rule in us. It's God's rule in our lives. And friends, this morning, when Jesus says, His kingdom is in you, it means He rules and reigns in our lives. Isn't it wonderful that He rules and reigns in our lives? So, Seek Him. Seek Him. So what does it mean for us to seek His kingdom first? It means that we look to God and His kingdom for all our needs. Look to God and His kingdom for all our needs. When Jesus tells us to seek first His kingdom, it is in the context of worry, especially when the basic necessities of life, like food and shelter and clothing, now these are things that Jesus mentions here. And these are things that He says the pagans run after these things food, clothing, and shelter. And friends, what an opportunity is for us. What a privilege it is for us to in, this, in this country. We all, we all have a roof over our head. We all have clothes that we can wear. And we all have something to eat. Make it your goal to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. Let Him into every area of your life and let Him be the Lord of your life. You know, we say sometimes, you are Lord, you are Lord, we sing, you are Lord, you are Lord of my life. Really? What are some of the areas we put saying, no go? Jesus, you only sit in our living room. That's okay. All the others is off limits for you. 
when he says be the Lord, he wants to be the Lord of all our lives, our whole lives. Let's give it, give it to him. Make that our goal and let him be the Lord of, our, of all our life. This one thing, wherever we are, whatever we seek to do, seek his kingdom first. Let that be our one aim. Seek his kingdom, his rule over our lives. And when we seek, his king, seek him first and his righteousness, he provides what we need. The second phrase, we looked at his kingdom. We saw, but seek first his kingdom. And we saw what the kingdom was all about. His rule. His reign for our lives. And then he says, and his righteousness. Righteousness of God. The word righteous or righteousness is used 146 times in the New Testament. Well, that's, that, that's a big word. Again, Jesus used it a lot. And five times Matthew uses this word in just chapter 5 and 6 alone. In just this chapter, five times. So it's an important uh, area again. Now Matthew, look at this verse. Now Matthew did not say, but seek first his kingdom and its righteousness. You notice the word? Not its righteousness, not the kingdom's righteousness, but his righteousness. Huge difference. Seek first his righteousness. What kind of righteousness are we supposed to, to, to go after? Before Jesus defines what righteousness is all about, he says what righteousness is not. Now very early on in his Sermon on the Mount, before he even begins to teach about, this, uh, about the Sermon on the Mount, he starts off with this phrase. Very interesting. He says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow! What a blow it was! Here was his people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the so-called temple leaders. They had their own kind of righteousness. The way they walked, the way they talked, the way they looked at in public places. And these Pharisees were the most affluent and powerful group during the time of Jesus. They meticulously kept the Jewish rules and regulations. If you want to talk about, see anybody who wants, who's following God, here is the example, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, your righteousness should surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. So he is pushing their righteousness aside. While doing so, these Pharisees and Sadducees, while meticulously, religiously keeping the rules and regulations, they rejected the true justice, His mercy, and faithfulness of God. This was self-righteousness on display. They rejected what was most important. One example, when a Pharisee stood in the public, he said, God, I thank, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Like the extortionist, the unjust, the adulteress, or even this tax collector. Maybe you're referring to Matthew himself, this tax collector. Not like the other people. Look at me, God. I'm not like the other people. So self-righteous. What a shock it was for the self-righteous Pharisees who thought they had a box office seat in the kingdom. What a shock to the system. When Jesus began to teach, he said, Blessed 
are not the scribes and the Pharisees, but the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For them, such kingdom belongs to. For this is the righteousness of God. Friends, to pursue righteousness means going the second mile, giving up your own desires and demands so that others can be blessed. That is what God is looking for. And that is the true righteousness. Going the second mile, feeding the poor, helping those who are weak. That is kind of the righteousness that God is looking for. God has showed us what is good and what He needs for us to do. And here it says in Micah chapter 6, 8. Now, I missed that verse. He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And that is what God wants us. And He has shown us this morning. And those who do those righteous acts. And you might be saying, how am I to do those righteous acts without being a hypocrite? Jesus did that. He has done for us. He has shown us what, what He has done. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Him we might become the righteousness of God. On our own, we, have, we are not righteous. No way. We are not righteous. But through Him, in Him, we become righteous. He clothes us with righteousness, with His robe of righteousness. It is not our own. But we are clothed with His righteousness. And friends, when we are clothed in His righteousness, how does God see us? How does the Heavenly Father see us? Clothed in His righteousness, we are like Him. He sees us through Him, clothed in His righteousness, being made right with God. That's all that word is, being made right with God and walking in His righteousness. Righteousness is a gift from God to those who repent from sin and from dead works and putting their hope in Jesus. It's by His grace through faith that He has made us righteous. It's not by own good work. It does, it's not how we appear this morning. It's not how much we put before God and how much we show off. It's by His grace. By His grace alone. To see God's righteousness is not about trusting our own goodness or our own performance, but it is trusting in Jesus and His finished work. And that's by grace. God's kingdom and righteousness must be the top priorities in all our lives. Must be the number one act in our lives. It is our priority. Righteousness and His kingdom. His righteousness and His kingdom. And when we do that, what's the outcome? That's the promise. The outcome is, <laughs> all these things will be given to you as well. All these things 
What a promise it is. In some version it says, all these things will be added to you. These things, what are these things? These things are in the context of the verse that was read. So do not worry, saying what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or what we shall wear. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. These things will be added to you. They are the basic necessities of life, food, shelter, and clothing. And Jesus commanded us not to live constantly in a worry mode. Even if you don't know where our next meal is coming from. It's a scary thought. We were at the Bible College. I was doing my studies there. When I came from India, as an overseas student, we didn't get any benefits or hex from the government. So I was working two jobs, and Susan was working her job to meet just the fees. And one day, Susan said, there's nothing for dinner. What are kids going to eat? And sure, there's nothing in our fridge. And I told her, I said, well, let's trust God. You go about doing what you're doing. So she went, took the clothes. We had to go right down at the back from the units where we're living to put the clothes online. And I took my books, went to the library, and I was bawling my eyes out. But God, come through for us. Come through for us. And I get a call. Susan said, come here, come quickly. So I went from the library to the unit where we were living. And the kids were saying, somebody came into our house and he asked for, asked my son, said, where's your mom and dad? So he said, mom is putting on the clothes on the clothesline, dad is in the library. Do I, do I need to call them? He said, no, no, don't worry. Where's the fridge? Show the fridge. He went in, put stuff in the fridge. And when I got home, I saw a leg of a lamb, food, desserts, fruits stacked in our fridge. There was food for us for that night. What a miracle. What a miracle. God takes care of the little things, friends. He takes care of us. Jesus wants us to trust God to provide what is needed for His children. Why? Because He cares for us. And this morning, He cares for you and me. Personally, He cares for us. I know it's difficult to understand, but let's trust God. He cares for us. He cares for you and me. You might be saying, but my family is important. My career is important. My school is important. My dreams are important. Yes, no doubt all these things are important. These are important for God too. Your future is important. It's, God, it's important for God as well. He knows your future. Jesus is calling us to make Him our priority, then all these things will be added. Other sense, keep Him in your focus. Friends, in conclusion, Matthew 6.30 tells us to make God's kingdom and His righteousness a high-level priority. Jesus wants people to trust God instead of worrying about so many things. It is difficult to put God first while we have life challenges staring at us, but this can be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now you might say, oh, it's, it's difficult. Sam, it's easy for you to save up from there. It's difficult. And friends, we can. We can shift our focus this morning from worrying to God. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who strengthens us, who enables us. Let's look to Him. Instead of letting anxiety to overcome and govern our lives, our thoughts, and our being, Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. All these things will be added. Now I want to ask you the last question. In what ways do you seek to put God first today and every day? Do you have to shift your focus this morning? In what ways are you saying right now? I'm going to seek God, His kingdom, and His righteousness. And all these things will be added. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Let the Holy Spirit right now show us those things that's worrying us those things that are really bothering us. Come Holy Spirit. Show in our hearts. Show us now. Help us to shift our focus. There's so many things that are worrying us this morning. That's weighing us down. And in the midst of all this, God, you have asked us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Father, as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you said, Lord, that all these things will be added. Thank you, Lord, for the simple and profound necessity of seeking your kingdom. No matter where I am or what I'm doing, this command offers direction and encouragement in all things. And I am to seek your rule over my life. Lord, we offer ourselves to you to live for your purpose and for your glory. Dear Lord, you, you know that we do this inconsistently. So many times we fail and we forget and we look at worries and we make worries so big. And there are times when we occasionally look at, your, look at you. Sometimes these are good things like security for our family. That are simple, out of order, that comes from eternal priorities. Other times, what I seek is simply wrong. When I pursue my own rule over my life rather than yours. Forgive me, Lord. When I fail to seek your kingdom. Forgive us, Lord. And by your spirit, help us to desire you more than anything else. 
Help us to want you. Help us to live each moment under your gracious authority. Stir up in us the unquenchable spirit, the unquenchable thirst, the unquenchable need for your kingdom and for your righteousness so that I might earn to seek you in all things. Father, we give you all praise, glory, and honor to you. King of kings and the Lord of lords, be glorified. Help us, Lord, this morning to focus on you, your kingdom, and your righteousness. Your kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And help us, Lord, to focus on that. In Jesus' name, amen.